So, I have a question for you. Are you nice? <laughs> Are you a nice person? Somebody over there is not? That's okay, I'm glad you know where you sit. But typically, typically when we're asked that, that kind of question, we think, well, yeah, of course, of course I'm nice. But are you nice? Are you? Yes! Good! So what we're going to do is kind of think about how nice we actually are. So I have what I have called the three degrees of niceness. This is a scale. It's the scale of three de degrees of niceness. And if you'll notice, this is the official scale of niceness. This is the official one, so in case you want to take it down, write it, you can put on there the official scale of niceness. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to present a spectrum of niceness, degrees of niceness, if you will. And we're going to start with the category on this end of the spectrum of really, really nice. Some of you fall within the really, really nice category. This means that you are a kind person. You're nice. To help us understand what this kind of niceness looks like, I have an illustration. So suppose a neighbor, you you're, live in a neighborhood and suppose a new neighbor moves in. If you are in the really, really nice category, you just can't contain yourself when a new neighbor moves in. You get so excited to have the opportunity to meet this new person because you are really, really nice. You're so excited that you bake up a batch of cookies and you run over to their house as soon as you see an opportunity and you present the cookies and you say, welcome to the neighborhood. And nine times out of 10, right then and there, you invite them back to your house for dinner. This means you are a really, really nice person. Congratulations. It's good to be in that category at that end of the spectrum. But clearly, all of us are not on that end of the spectrum. So there's another category in kind of the middle of the spectrum, and I have referred to this as polite. You are kind of a nice person. You are not really, really nice, you're kind of a nice person in the spectrum. So in this one, if somebody moves into your neighborhood, you're not gonna bake cookies and run over and give them cookies, and you're definitely not going to invite them to dinner. But when you're driving by in the car, you give them a nice wave. <laughs> and sometimes when you're really crazy, when you're walking down the sidewalk, you even say hi to them. You are polite. So we have really, really nice, kind of in the middle of the spectrum, we have polite people who are kind of nice. And then the third category on the other end of the spectrum is really not nice at all. <laughs> now, some of you are probably in this category. You may or may not know that you're in this category, but you really don't care about being nice. In fact, you don't really try to be nice. In fact, you don't even go out of your way to say hi to people. This is the person who, when somebody moves into their neighborhood, will actually avoid going outside. If the new neighbor is outside, you will wait inside your house until that new neighbor goes back into their house. Or how about this? If you actually make it out to the car and you get in your car and the new neighbor walks out, you duck <laughs> because you don't want to have to say hi to the new neighbor. Kind of a spectrum of niceness. 
And we have the three degrees of niceness. Really, really nice. Kind of nice and polite. Or not really nice at all. Now, this is an oversimplified version of categories of niceness. But this morning, as we open up the book of Ruth, we need to think about, we need to honestly think about where we are on the spectrum of niceness and more importantly, where God wants us to be on the spectrum of niceness. So take your Bibles and open up to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is found in the Old Testament. It's right at the beginning of the Bible, close to the beginning of the Bible. I'd encourage you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the rack in front of you that the church wants you. We want you to borrow and open up and follow what what we're gonna talk about today. And we're gonna be looking at Ruth chapter two. It's found on page 211 of that Bible. Now, we have been in the book of Ruth for the past four weeks, and we've been looking at this beautiful story, and we've referred to this as a love story. This is a love story between a man named Boaz and a widow named Ruth. And it's kind of a love story between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well. But we said, most importantly, this is a love story of God with each of these characters. And it's a love story between God and you and me, that God demonstrates his love to Naomi, to Boaz, to Ruth, and God demonstrates his love to you and to me as well. We've been asked to identify with one of these characters. We've been asked to identify over the past three weeks with either Naomi or Boaz or Ruth, and we've noticed that each one of them has had a struggle. Naomi struggled with bitterness. Boaz struggled with fear. Ruth struggled with control. Yet within their struggle, God met them out of his kindness. You see, if we're gonna put God on the spectrum of kindness and we're gonna put him in a certain category, God falls in the really, really nice category. God is really, really nice. He is kind. He is caring. He is nice. And just like God met Naomi and Boaz and Ruth in their struggle, we have seen tangibly how he has met us in our struggle over these past three weeks. God is really, really nice. He is kind. And God's kindness is contagious. God's kindness is contagious. Let's look at how his kindness is contagious in this love story between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth chapter two is about Boaz and Ruth's first meeting, and it's a special meeting. Chapter two takes place over the period of just one day. Ruth chapter one, in the first five verses, like 10 years go by in those first five verses. Lots of stuff happens. A famine started and ended. A family migrated. Two marriages took place. Three men died. And now, here in chapter two, we have a chapter that covers just one day. So let's look at what it has to say to us. Now remember, early in chapter two, verse one, we learn about Boaz. Boaz is a man of standing. He is likely financially and socially successful. He's well-respected in his community. He's a man of strong character. And we know that he owns at least one field. Well, one day when he's visiting that field, 
he notices, he comes upon, he notices a new woman. He sees Ruth. Look at verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Then look at the overseer's response in verse 6. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Last week, we learned that this is the most important fact about Ruth. She's a foreigner. Now, we learned that she's a widow as well, but over and over again throughout the book of Ruth, we learn that Ruth is a foreigner. We also learned that she has a strong personality. She's strong-willed. She's a determined woman. She is the one who asked Naomi if she could go to the field and pick the grain. She is the one who went up to the overseer and asked his permission to actually glean in this particular field. And she is the one who actually did the hard work of picking the grain. But now Boaz, Boaz recognizes this new person, this woman who's in his field, and he approaches her. And Boaz demonstrates great kindness. He is really, really nice. Boaz encourages her to stay in his field in pick. He encourages her to stay alongside the women workers that he's hired her. In addition, he tells the young men to keep away from, to keep their hands off of Ruth. And when Ruth is thirsty, Boaz says, you can drink my water. Ruth's response, she's amazed. She's humbled by Boaz's kindness to her, a foreigner. Look at her response to his kindness. Look first in verse 10. At this, look at this, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Yes, Ruth has a strong personality. Yes, she is a determined person. But here we see great humility as well. What does it say she does? She bows down and puts her face to the ground. She demonstrates humility. Then look at verse 13. More humility. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Last week, Jim made a great point. He does that sometimes. <laughs> we learned, Jim shared with us, that the word for servant here in this verse is shifa. It is the lowest rung on the servant ladder. Such a person with this title doesn't have any possibility. They cannot marry Boaz. No possibility of marrying Boaz if this is your title. But here, in great humility and in recognition of her position, Ruth bows down before Boaz and puts her face on the ground in great humility. But this is a love story. Boaz and Ruth, it's a love story. You're supposed to fall in love. How do you go from bowing down on the ground before with your face on the ground to true love? At this point, it doesn't seem like Boaz and Ruth have any chance of romance at all. 
until Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, sees that Boaz and Ruth should get married. So what does she do? Remember what she does? She instructs Ruth to go at night while Boaz is sleeping, pull back the covers from his feet, and lay down at his feet. Now, no matter how many times you hear that, if you're like me, that just seems awkward. I don't know how that actually plays itself out. Honey, go at night while he's sleeping, pull back his sheets, lay down at his feet, he'll wake up and he'll notice you. I don't advise that. But here it happens. Naomi says, go, do this. And what happens? What's the response? Quickly, turn over to chapter three, verse eight. Look at chapter three, verse eight. It's kind of the description of what happens. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I would say that that is an understatement. (laughs) Something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now remember what Jim said last week? The word for servant here in this verse is Amma. Amma is a servant who is higher up the servant ladder. Such a servant would be able to marry Boaz. This is so interesting. Last week, Jim said that Ruth promoted herself from Shippa to Amma. She knows it's time for her and Boaz to get married, so she raises herself up to a level where she would be able to marry Boaz. She promotes herself. But here's the question for this morning. Here's the question for this morning. Does this happen just because she has a strong personality? just because she's strong-willed? Does this happen just because she's determined? Or is there something else that gives her the confidence to go from a lowly servant bowed before Boaz with her face on the ground to a person one chapter later who has the confidence to propose marriage? Does something happen? Yes, something happens. If you're not there already, go back to chapter two. Go back to chapter two and look at verse 14. And remember, verse 14 comes right after verse 13. Yeah, you guys picked up on that. 14 comes after 13, and remember what was happening in verse 13. In verse 13, Ruth in humility is bowing before Boaz. What happens in verse 14 that changes things? Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. What happens? Okay, people, what happens in verse 14? Now, come on, what happens? What does he do? Oh, come on, people. Verse 14, the first two words. At mealtime, Boaz offers 
Ruth a meal. He invites her to his table. He gives her food. What do we call this? Hospit <laughs> date. <laughs> yes, we call it a date. <laughs> we also call it hospitality. Boaz offers Ruth hospitality. Boaz has been really, really kind to Ruth, but now he steps up his kindness. Hospitality is kindness in action. Hospitality is kindness in action. Hospitality is defined as the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. The friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, and strangers. And I would add, it usually includes food or a meal. In the New Testament, it's interesting. The New Testament for word for hospitality is a compound word. It combines love and stranger. Hospitality in the New Testament is literally love of the outsider. And Boaz here offers Ruth hospitality. In this culture, here in this culture in the book of Ruth, people did not only eat to satisfy hunger, eating together had great symbolic significance. Meals were put on by a host as an expression of compassion, generosity, and acceptance. Boaz has invited Ruth the foreigner to his table to show his compassion, to show his generosity, and to show his acceptance. Do you realize what this said to the rest of the workers? Do you realize what a surprise this had to be? Boaz, out of his kindness, because remember, Boaz is really, really nice. Out of his kindness, he demonstrates hospitality. Hospitality is kindness in action. And here's the important thing. Boaz's hospitality transforms Ruth from a lowly, humble servant bowed on the ground with her face to the ground. This hospitality transforms her from that lowly servant to one, to a person with dignity and confidence and the proper level of self-respect where she is in a position and willing and ready to propose marriage to Boaz. Boaz is hospitality. Hospitality is powerful. Hospitality is redemptive. Boaz has offered hospitality to Ruth, showing her compassion, generosity, and acceptance. And it's not only in that culture, it's in our culture as well. Hospitality demonstrates compassion, generosity, and acceptance. This, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Andy Crowder, Andy, you know Andy Crowder? Andy Crowder, our worship pastor, Mark Welling, our choir director, and Kristen White. Kristen White usually sits right down here in the front seat. She's Jim's assistant and my assistant. Actually, Kristen really does everything around here. But Andy... Mark and Kristen went out to lunch. They went to Freddy's up on Plainfield. 
And as they walk into Freddy's, they notice Ben. Ben's a younger guy who goes here to Calvary Church, and they notice Ben when they walk in. Well, as they walk in and about to get ready to order, Andy, hey, Ben, how you doing? Mark kind of acknowledges them somewhat. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Kristen, hi, Ben, how you doing? And then they get their food, and Mark, Andy, and Kristen go and sit down. And as they begin to eat, Kristen notices, and she looks up and she says, is Ben eating alone? And they notice, they recognize, they see that Ben's eating alone. So Kristen says, we need to invite him to eat with us. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Mark and Andy's response was, but they end up inviting Ben to come and eat with them. And not only do they invite Ben to come and eat with them, but Kristen actually buys Ben a shake. That's hospitality. They're showing Ben compassion. He was the one that was eating alone. They're showing him generosity. Kristen brought, bought him a shake. And they're showing acceptance. They're bringing him into their world and they're sitting, he's sitting at their table. Do you wonder how Ben felt? You know how Ben felt, don't you? Ben felt welcomed. Ben felt accepted. Ben felt known. Ben felt seen. Why? Because Kristen invited Ben to come and have burger and fries and a shake with them. And I promise you, Ben is not going to forget that for a very, very long time. That's hospitality. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, that's really great. That's really great that Kristen does that. Kristen must be on the really, really nice side of the spectrum. And I promise you, she is. I mean, like, Kristen, like, has her own category. It's like really, really, really nice side of the spectrum. But here's the thing. None of us are off the hook. I know I am not as nice as Kristen. I may, I may be in the polite category. I may be kind of nice. But that doesn't get me off the hook. Because God has called you and God has called me. God has called all of us to all be in the really, really nice category. Demonstrating hospitality. There is no excuse. There is no reason why we cannot be in this really, really nice category. Offering hospitality. Showing compassion, generosity, and acceptance to people. And if you think you can get off the hook, I want to show you some verses from the New Testament. These are some verses that will clearly mean we're all called to do this. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 12. Look what it says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. And other versions say pursue hospitality. The verb here has the idea of a continuous and ongoing action. This means hospitality at Thanksgiving or Christmas is not enough. It is a continued act of hospitality, hospitality day after day after day. Practice, pursue hospitality. Look at these two verses from 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. You're like, man, I can do the hospitality thing, but do I have to do it without grumbling? Yes, you cannot grumble. So this is not an instruction just to practice hospitality. This is instruction on how you are to practice hospitality, which means it defines what type of person you have to be, which means you have to be a really, really nice person because you cannot grumble. So smile. Smile. 
Smile when you practice hospitality. Practice hospitality without grumbling. Now look at these verses from Hebrews. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So the Romans verse says practice hospitality. It kind of gives us the positive instruction. These verses in Hebrews say do not forget to show. Other translations say do not neglect. Now it's easy for us to neglect hospitality, isn't it? We get going with our own lives, we get kind of on a path, and it's easy to set this kind of command aside. So the writer of Hebrews says this do not forget about this. Do not neglect to show hospitality. And the other thing is, you know what's cool about this? You know why it's to strangers? Because look what it says. You actually may engage with an angel if you show hospitality to a stranger. Now, you know this instruction has to be to a stranger because if you're just doing it to somebody you know, if you're showing hospitality to someone you know, you know they're not angels. You <laughs> So, right? It has to be a stranger. But if you show hospitality to a stranger, you may be engaging with an angel. For real. Okay. So we've seen the transformative power of hospitality. Boaz's hospitality towards Ruth transforms her. It is redemptive. It is a redemptive power. And we've seen that we're all... We are all called to be hospitable. Now let's look at what it looks like. Let's look at what hospitality looks like. So I have five things, five things that I'd like to share with you on what hospitality looks like. First, hospitality should be provided to the stranger, the outsider, the foreigner. Now, hospitality, we should show hospitality to everybody, but it is easy to show hospitality to somebody we know or somebody who's like us. The instruction clearly from Ruth chapter 2 is that we are to show hospitality to the stranger, to the outsider, and to the foreigner. Boaz shows his hospitality to Ruth, a foreigner. God calls each one of us to get outside of our comfort zones. And you get outside of your comfort zone by providing and showing hospitality to strangers. Boaz demonstrated hospitality to a Moabite. We need to find ourselves some Moabites. Not literally, maybe literally, find a Moabite. But show hospitality to the stranger, to the outsider, and to the foreigner. Second, look at chapter 2, verse 14. Look at it again. Boaz says, come over here. Boaz invites Ruth to join him. He takes the initiative. Ruth was the Moabite, she was the foreigner, and she was deliberately and appropriately, according to custom, keeping her distance from Boaz. She wasn't going to ask Boaz to join her. She's the outsider and she shouldn't have to. Boaz takes the initiative and asks Ruth to join him. Boaz creates space at his table. You need to take the initiative and create space at your table. Third, look at the second half of verse 14. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. 
Boaz served roasted grain to Ruth himself. He did the serving. This is personal. The narrator deliberately highlights an extraordinary action by using a word that only occurs once in the Old Testament. And it is a word for the personal nature of hospitality. Boaz feeds, offers her the grain. And when we offer hospitality, it should be personal as well. We should be generous in offering the hospitality. And that's the fourth point. Hospitality is generous. Look at the end of verse 14. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Boaz was generous with his hospitality. He provided Ruth with enough food to satisfy her hunger and take a doggy bag home. He gave her more than enough. Boaz, she was a foreigner. Boaz could have invited her over and gave her leftovers or gave her scraps from the table, but he doesn't. He offers to her the exact food that he ate because he was generous. When we offer hospitality, we should be generous as well. Fifth and finally, hospitality, although it is generous, does not need to be fancy or extravagant. It does not need to be fancy or extravagant. Look what Boaz offers Ruth. He doesn't offer her a great feast. They had bread dipped in wine vinegar and roasted grain. This is like us having hot dogs on paper plates. It doesn't, it's not what you offer. It is the fact that you offer something. You are inviting somebody to your table to engage with them, to fellowship with them, to talk with them, to show compassion, generosity, and acceptance. It doesn't need to be fancy or extravagant. And I would suggest it's probably better if it's just simple. Hospitality is transformative. It is redemptive. It changed Ruth's life. Each one of us is called to hospitality as well. And hospitality has certain aspects to it that are very clear for us to follow. So I want to leave you with an assignment. If you don't want to call it assignment, you can call it a strong suggestion. Call a couple suggestions about being hospitable people because we all, Calvary Church, needs to be a hospitable place. So first suggestion, be nice here at Calvary Church. Be really, really nice. Smile. You know that person you've been sitting next to for the last nine months here in church or the person that's been in front of you for nine months here at church? Here's the suggestion, here's the assignment. Stand up, introduce yourself, say, hi, my name is Tom, nice to see you. Now you probably don't wanna to say Tom because your name's probably not Tom, but you just introduce yourself, you just say, hi, how you doing? Good to see you, and smile. And if somebody does that to you, don't respond, yeah, I know, I've been sitting here for nine months and you haven't said anything to me. <laughs> no, say, hey, great, nice to see you too, I'm so-and-so. Smile. Be kind, and if you want to get really crazy, like when you're out in the crosswalk and you see somebody you don't know, you see a stranger, maybe you see a refugee or a foreigner, you know what, go up to them. Hey, great to meet you. Glad you're here. This needs to be a happy place with really, really nice people. Be hospitable because hospitality is kindness in action. 
Second, in your neighborhood, when you are in your neighborhood, when you go home or into your apartment or wherever you live, bake some cookies. You know what? You don't even have to bake any cookies. Just buy some cookies. <laughs> buy some cookies and take them to your neighbor and knock on the door and say, hey, you know what? I was thinking about you. Here's some cookies. You know what? It doesn't matter if they've been there years. It doesn't matter if they're, no matter what, just go, hey, here's some cookies. Watch how they respond to you. This past week, Debbie Hughesby, Bruce Hughesby, her husband is here on pastoral staff. They had a family move in next door to them, a family from Iran. Can you imagine if you move here from Iran, how, much you, how, how you must feel? I don't think they probably know a lot of people. So Debbie, being in the really, really, really nice category, she bakes some cookies and she takes them over to the family. And she says, here, welcome to the neighborhood. We're glad you're here. Here are some cookies. They were like blown away. And you know what they say? Like, we're family. We're family now. Bruce and Debbie have a new family just because she bought cookies for them. Demonstrate hospitality, kindness in action here at church and in your neighborhood and watch what happens. In the bulletin, there's also three suggestions. You can do lunch together, you can do Neighbors International, or you can do the Language Cafe. Check that out. I encourage you, step outside your comfort zones because here's what happens. I don't know where you are along the niceness scale, but I promise you the more you practice hospitality, the kinder you will become. That's how God works. When you exercise the gifts or the talents or the commands that he's given you, he increases those gifts and talents. It's a big cycle. Practice hospitality, he is going to make you nicer. But more than that, more than that, understand that hospitality is powerful and redemptive. And God wants to use you, listen to this, God wants to use you to show his compassion, his generosity, and his acceptance. And when you do that, you change lives. And people see that there is one true God who presents himself through Jesus Christ.